When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As of right now, we are at war. How desperate you call on such lost creatures to defend you. How desperate am I? You threaten my world with war. You steal a force you can't hope to control. You talk about peace and you kill because it's fun. You have made me very desperate. You might not be glad that you did. There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if they could become something more. Welcome to Furious Finest, the podcast about the discussion of Marvel Crisis Protocol and the Marvel Universe. My name is Jesse Aiken, and I'm joined as I am every week by Christopher Bruffett. How are you doing today, Chris? Jesse, I'm so good, man. I'm so excited to dive into the MCU today. That's right. So we're not talking MCP today. We're doing another one of our MCU episodes, which is, which is really fun, Chris, because we're caught up now in, in a weird way of the MCU. You know, we sadly didn't get to do WandaVision or Falcon or Winter Soldier, but we did do Loki. We did do our first impressions on Spider-Man blowing our minds, this sort of announcement, to prep for this, right? To talk about Shang-Chi, to talk about Eternals at some point, to talk about Spider-Man No Way Home at some point, and obviously to talk about Doctor Strange in the spring. It's a very exciting time to be an MCU fan, almost as exciting as a time as it is to be an MCP fan. Still running off the high of the tournament, getting to play live in person. We've got some games coming up in person this weekend, which I'm very excited about as well. Yeah. It's great. I'm waiting for Jean Grey to get to my shop so I can buy her. The world is in such a weird spot right now where it's like, I'm very jealous. I'm talking directly to you right now, Canada, as you guys have Dormammu. Mm-hmm. You guys also have Dr. Voodoo, and you guys also have Blade and Moon Knight. Those are my top tier models that are out right now, Chris, that we do not have in the United States. Of course, there's many more models like a new Doctor Strange that looks even more fun than the original Doctor Strange in my mind. But those are my top tier ones that we don't have either. So it's a rough time. We do have Jean Grey in America now. It's just like you said, waiting for our shops to get them here. Yeah, there's so many good things though, man. Like we're working on models right now. We're working on terrain. We're working on future plans for the show. We've actually got some plans for the Patreon, which I'll talk about when we get to that very soon. But Meanwhile, the MCU is in full swing. So we talked about this in our last MCU episode, Chris, when we went through all of Loki, which I'm very impressed we got all into one episode. I'm going to be honest. But also, What If just finished, which is very exciting. Mm -hmm. And Hawkeye is coming out very soon. So hopefully these are things we can do at least semi-concurrently on the show as additional content to MCP. You know I'm down for Hawkeye. Hawk guy. That's right. Look, just get used to it, bro. You're going to hear bro a lot, bro, and it's just going to be cool, bro. Okay. 
teaser for for the Hawkeye show. Trust. Trust. Oh, I can't wait to see Haley Steinfeld as Bishop. She's someone to watch in the future. She is an incredible actress and brought us Gwen and Into the Spider-Verse and was incredible. Also, just knocked it out of the park with the best Transformers movie, which is Bumblebee, which most people haven't seen. Go see it. I have not, and I will not. It is the best one. Not even close. That's cool. Took them five movies, Chris figured out how to do it. And you know what the secret was? Michael Bay gives the money. He doesn't touch the movie. I didn't like any of the ones I saw, so I don't think I'll like a good one either. So just going to pass. Bay did all of those, and he's finally done. He just gives money now, which is great. Also, John Cena's in it, and he's actually pretty great in it as well. But yeah, they should have just... They just rewrite the Transformers timeline, start with Bumblebee and move forward and actually makes sense because Bumblebee takes place in the 80s when Bumblebee first arrives on Earth, of course, in the canon of the comics and just reset everything after that. (laughs) Just reset it. Interesting you use the word reset because everything ties together, Jesse. Our next character episode is going to be on Iron Fist and it is one I'm very excited to bring you guys. Mm. But resetting... I kind of feel like we've gotten a reset on the, well, we had a reset on the Iron Fist canon with the Immortal Iron Fist by Matt Fraction. I kind of think we're about to see him show up in the MCU, thanks to this movie that we're about to talk about today, (laughs) Shang-Chi. Oh, man. That's good. That's good. Definitely. Also, Chris, how have you been liking What If? Because to me, it's only gotten better every episode not every episode like has gotten better i've just enjoyed it so much every week i have not looked forward to it at all every week i watch it if i remember it came out of course it just has not captured me uh, really in any way it's not canon that's part of it for some people i am guilty as charged there i fully admit to it if it's not canon it's hard for me to care i don't know why that is yeah, that's interesting. And also, you know, I'm not just I'm just not the biggest fan of that animation style. It's just not made for me, and that's okay. It is fun though. Like I, I don't not enjoy watching it. Well, I don't know where you are in the show, but the last couple of episodes they do start doing what I was hoping they would do. And they start tying things together for multiple storylines, which is very cool and probably the best way to end it, to be honest. Because if it was all just completely standalone stories, it'd be good. But it wouldn't be great. And I, I think it ends on a great note because there's some threads that all come together. So I will say that. Well, I've only got one one episode left. We'll see. Maybe it'll change my opinion. Doubtful. But the MCU, I mean, we're here, Chris. Like, what if is over? Shang-Chi's been out for enough time now that we feel comfortable talking about on the show without giving, you know, spoilers away. We will give a spoiler warning here in a minute. But obviously, there's gonna be spoilers today. Yeah, man, we're right at the precipice of the Eternals and then Hawkeye and then Spider-Man. And before we know it, we'll be in the new year. And we're going to Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which is way up on my list. I'm going to be honest. It's right at the top after Spider-Man, actually. (laughs) It's my number two of the things that are coming out over the next year and a half or so. Well, my bold prediction for that movie is that it will be where things actually open up. I think Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness will start the ramp up to the next big team movie. It's just going to open everything up. It's going to, we're, we're setting up the multiverse now and that's going to be our first foray into it. So it's going to be very exciting to see how Marvel studios has decided to handle this 
pretty ambitious thing of trying to sell the general American movie-going audience on a multiverse. Yeah, just get the Rick and Morty writers more like they did for Loki and keep that going because it seemed to work. And, you know, Loki sowed the seeds, as we talked about in that episode. If you haven't checked it out, definitely listen to our Loki episode because Chris and I go in great detail about just the multiverse and what we think is going to mean for the future of Marvel and what they looked like they were planting and Loki and WandaVision. Honestly, there's a lot there. There's a lot there. And I think planting seeds is a good, a good way to phrase it. And I think Shang-Chi fits right into that category. I guess let's go ahead and give the spoiler warning and get into it. Okay. Well, before that, we got a little bit of business to attend to, and then we're just going to get right into Shang-Chi. So let's go. Fury's Finest is supported by Discount Games, Inc. Please go to DiscountGamesInc.com for all your Marvel Crisis Protocol and miniature gaming needs. Our patrons support this show, Fury's Finest, at Patreon.com slash Fury's Finest. If you enjoy this show, consider supporting us with a monthly contribution. It helps us pay our bills and keep this content going. Also, Chris and I would like to do this in a more full-time capacity in the future. So the Patreon is planting seeds for that potentially one day to be a thing, Chris. And we take this time to thank all of our patrons for all of their support. And this week, we're going to send a very special and personalized individual thank you to Russ L. Russ, thank you so much, man. Thank you, Russ. And of course, Chris, this show is brought to you by the Avengers producers who make every episode happen with their contribution on the Patreon. So we've got to thank Zach Attack, Rusty, Keith, and Dylan. Our fantastic four. That's right. So Chris, we've got a lot of plans for the Patreon. And one of them is something you and I have talked about a lot off mic. We've actually recorded some things that haven't seen the light of day and we want them to additional content for our patrons only. So the second tier of the Patreon up, basically you're going to get additional unedited episodes of Chris and I talking about anything from Marvel to Star Wars to just anything. Let's be honest. And these are just unedited after dark episodes. And it's something we've wanted to do for a really long time, but the Patreon was not big enough to basically find the time. But now that the Patreon's growing, we want to reward the early patrons that are here. So it's something that we're going to start releasing on our Patreon and on our patron discord for those patrons. So say, stay tuned for that. But I mean, give you an example of things that might be on this additional feed, things that Chris and I have talked about a lot, just conversations we have pre-show all the time. We're just going to start recording because we always have really great canon, non-canon movies, non-movies, gameplay, MCP discussions that we just never press record, which is a mistake on us. We're going to start recording those because we've had some really good ones, Chris. We've even got a couple that I can hopefully dig up. Ooh, <laughs> you know, Spider-Man predictions from two years ago and stuff, but which would be pretty telling now how right just or wrong. See we how were. right I was. That's correct. Or just see how, why I'm so smug now about Green Goblin coming to <laughs> the universe because <laughs> it's on the episode, but you know, things like that all the way to flashing back to last year and prior when we did our commentary episodes. Obviously, we're going to release these commentary episodes of movies sometimes on the main feed, but also we're going to probably start just doing a lot of them for patrons only because it is a unique thing. You're kind of just hanging out with us. It's completely unedited. It's completely freeform and live. And it's something we think is really valuable for the patrons because it is a unique experience and it probably doesn't belong on our main feed as much anyways, right, Chris? It's more of a supplemental content. Our main feed is always going to be dedicated to 
MCP first and then the MCU second. And basically we're just going to keep you in the world of MCP and the MCU as best we can. But the Patreon is a great place, Chris, to do discussions like us talking about the King and Black series on Marvel Unlimited right now. Like we can really dive into that and we'll probably bring some more of that to the, we'll bring some of that to the show in the future. But, you know, the patrons get all this first, of course. We have to thank our friends somehow. And we've got some fun ideas. This is how we choose to do it. And I hope that it's uh, good enough that the patrons enjoy it and, and uh, it spreads word of mouth. I really do. Well, and Chris, too, I've also got other ideas for our additional feed for the patrons. And it's like you and I can do what we are already do off mic a lot, like tweaking and dojoing our lists, but just do it with mics on. So the patrons can listen and kind of figure out our thought process when we refine our list and stuff. It would have been, you know, a wonderful thing before the tournament. So it's something we can probably do for the next before the next tournament. What crises will we change? Which characters will we change? What tactics cards are we playing now? It's to ten, right? These are big changes. I'm really looking forward to just running tape and letting the patrons listen to this stuff. And it's not going to be anywhere near as polished and tight as our normal show, but that's kind of the point. It truly is outtakes content for the patrons only. Yeah, the guard is down a little more, that's for sure. That's for sure. So, if any of that sounds interesting to you, most importantly, when you become a patron, you get to be part of our patron community on the Discord. You automatically get a link. Just make sure your Discord is tied to your Patreon account when you create your Patreon account. It's very important. And you'll get automatically added to the patron Discord. And we have a wonderful, wonderful group of people there, Chris, that are just talking to MCP every day in the most positive way. The positivity is what we wanted, and we are so, so happy that the vision is coming to fruition. I love it. I love our chatters. I, I love our patrons. We are very blessed. We really are, Chris. It turns out, you know, not all gamers are negative people. And I and I, I do believe that, actually. I really do. So I just think we need to represent the positive, loving, good gamers more than the toxic ones that always get the limelight. We don't want to shine light on that at all besides like this community is so great and it, it's about marvel and it's about the pillars of what these characters stand for too chris i feel like we need to kind of lean into that with our community and with our building of communities around this game too so it's very important to me it's very important to chris it's very important to the fury's finest patreon so if any of that sounds interesting to you check it out all right jesse it's time to dive in here okay what'd you think Okay, so Shang-Chi is a Marvel origin film. Let's start there. I say this because typically the origin films, they're just pretty formulaic, and they're not as good as the ensemble films just by nature because they are purely set-up films. Right. They're building to the ensemble film. So, right. of course, it's it's kind of hard for something building towards a payoff, you know, hard for – if the build is better than the payoff, we've done something wrong. That's true. So the question then is, Chris, initially, at least for me, is where does this stack up in the origin films? And I think it stacks up really high. I think it stops, stacks up for me in the top third of the origin films, which is very powerful. That's up there. And also, I was also asking myself the question, how can they do this differently? How can they do an origin film differently? And how can they, I don't know, keep us interested? Because we've seen so many origin films as a Marvel MCU audience member. We really have at this point. So I think they knocked that part out of the park, honestly, especially about a character that less people know about, for sure, than all these other origin film characters. I mean, we can't understate that. I, I cannot tell you how 
I don't want to say underused, but just how niche Shang-Chi is, even in the niche comic book community. Okay. There's reasons, but he just has not been around. He got got relaunched earlier this year, I believe, in preparation for this movie, of course. But he just hasn't been around that much. And when he was around, especially early on, it's kind of some problematic use. There's not much character there aside from an Asian man teaching Kung Fu, you know, and... I kind of applaud Marvel for going this way with the MCU and kind of righting some wrongs. And like I said, when we get to Iron Fist next character episode, we're going to see something very similar. And that's why I think that kind of why I mashed these two characters together, aside from the fact that I think we're going to see Iron Fist introduced through Shang-Chi in the future of the MCU. Okay, that's a cool and bold prediction and probably correct. I think I know what uh, that last credit scene is referring to, that's all. And we'll get to that later. So obviously we're fully into spoilers now, so if for some reason you haven't seen Chang-Chi, I I appreciate you staying this long on the podcast, hearing our catch-up, hearing our update to the Patreon, things like that, but now's a good time to stop listening. Go see Chang-Chi, it's still in theaters, and also be on Disney+. Plus. Before the end of the year, you can also watch it there. So let's talk about the movie, Chris. So it actually felt different from some other Marvel movies. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I think that that's positive. I'm just saying the beginning, the beginning onward, honestly, there was, there was a lot of lore building. And then there was when we actually see Sean, his character at the time, we see Sean, that whole setup is very different from all the other Marvel movies, like with the character and all this stuff. It's very humorous. Obviously, he's with Aquafina early on in the movie, and there's a lot of things happening there, but like they're kind of just easing you in. But what's weird about this movie, and I think it's very cool, the way they tell the origin story is a classic Asian movie writing technique, which I really love. Some of my favorite movies do this, especially from this part of the world, where the origin story has already happened. It's actually already happened a while ago. We don't know that as an audience member. And then we're told the origin story throughout the movie, literally up to the some of the last moments of the movie, we see the final pieces of the origin story, and they're told through flashbacks. Very different for a Marvel movie to do its origin story, because usually in a Marvel movie, it's point A to point B always, and the events of the plot that happen to the character happen from point A to point B. Case in point, Iron Man, right? Thor. It's, it's just very straight-lined. And they kind of, by the nature of the character, he's already trained... To an extent, right? And he's already strong when we first see him, but when he's working ballet, we don't know this. And then as the movie goes on, we actually get his entire origin story with his family, with his dad, with his mom, which is obviously the most important pieces. And we don't even see the last scene of his origin story till the final fight of the movie. I really actually really liked that writing technique. It kept me actually more interested in the story because we see his entire childhood backstory, origin story, all happen throughout the movie. And then he becomes the hero at the very end after we've been fed his entire story slowly over time. And I say the hero, he's been the hero the whole time. He becomes the superhero at the end. And it made it more dramatic, if you you get what I'm saying. Like the piecing out of his childhood through flashbacks over time. Yes, it was a fine storytelling technique. I thought that this movie this movie did do things differently from a Marvel movie, and it also did some things differently from a lot of movies, uh, most Hollywood movies. <laughs> an actual Asian man as a competent lead in an action movie. Awesome. Very cool. 
Yeah. I'm happy they clarified Shang-Chi too, the whole movie. Like it's, I said that many they times. They did. They did a great job. And I'll probably still mess it up. But Simu Liu did an excellent job. He was an excellent leading man. He did not steal the movie with his performance, but he did exactly what was needed. He facilitated. He was a, he was like a point guard in a basketball game, setting everyone up to have good performances and letting the story unfold around him as his character embraces its his call to action and becomes the hero. And I think it's going to set him up to be able to have a breakout performance in his next appearance in the MCU, I believe that he will deliver. Well, and they also got a guy who's competent in action, Chris. Like they actually cast a guy who is fluent in all these martial arts and all this action. It was very different from the way they've cast Marvel in the past. And I, I think that's very important to the character. You know what I mean? Like yep. typically like the Chris's, for instance, all the Chris's, all three of them, they had to learn their fighting and stuff after they were already cast. You know what I mean? They had to learn their stances. They had to learn their weapons, all these things, you know, this guy is completely different. And what I love about Simu here is like his early life, he was really trying to get into acting. And one of the things he was most well known for in his early life was he was one of the famous stock photo guys. He's just a guy. He's like the guy in the meeting pointing at the graph. He's that guy. No wonder, man. One of the most famous stock photos of all time is a meeting and he's pointing to the graph. And, you know, he said he got like $50 for that or something. That was it. (laughs) You know, super cool things. Like he did start an early career doing stunt work and it being extras in movies that required people who were competent in martial arts. Like he was in Pacific Rim as a brief part. Now he is a superstar as he should be because he knocks it out of the park. I thought his acting was actually very good and very competent in this, Chris, in addition to his actual professional technique and all of his stunts and his martial arts. What a start for this character. I'm going to be honest. I thought he was great. There were a lot of great performances in this, in this film though, to be honest. Couldn't agree more. Aquafina typically grates on me and some of the things she does. And I thought she was perfectly cast in this movie and she was awesome in this as well. She provided a lot of comic relief and levity, but she also like, I felt like it didn't feel like it went too far. And sometimes the roles she's been in the past have done that. But I mean, we've got like a lot of seasoned Asian actors and actresses in this movie too, Chris. Like that's a big part of it. You know what I mean? I feel like there was a strong backbone of famous Asian actors in Asia, right? But also in even American films too. Like a lot of those actors were actually reoccurring later in the film, which was, I thought, a pretty awesome thing. And of course, we can't forget, because of course we didn't forget, but I have to mention while we're here, Benedict Wong returning as Wong. And that's just getting more Wong. Here's Chris, that's what's funny. Someone's done a curtain call of, of all this information, but Wong is now starting to catch up to a lot of the other actors in the MCU of appearances in movies. He's starting to catch up. He's getting up there Good. in the movies he's been in. I think it's great. And also his Wong is very different from the comics. And I think that's a good thing. Like he just kind of made this character his own and he's just laser focused in on it. And um, I kind of like it a lot. Well, and they're using him as kind of a connective tissue here. 100%. To bring whatever team they're forming here, <coughs> Thunderbolts, <laughs> together. And I think it's great. He's doing a fantastic job. His ease with the character, his level of comfort in his own skin in these scenes is absolutely apparent. And he's killing it in his appearances. He just steals the show in, in every scene he's in at the moment. I couldn't agree more. There's a lot of things we could talk about. Well, let's talk about the Ten Rings, Chris, and the introduction of that. It's very Lord of the Rings esque 
And I think that's good. I think that's a good choice. The kind of like cold open to the movie, how they kind of describe the Ten Rings and the person that wields them has the power to control nations and all this stuff. And they start really building a big history with the rings and how powerful they are. We also see Sean's dad getting the rings and the whole backstory with that. You know, that's actor Tony Chu Wai, who's a very, very famous Hong Kong actor. Once again, with the older actors, they were just not pulling punches, Chris. They were they were spending the budget, you know what I mean? They were getting a lot of famous and seasoned, of course, actors that have been in the film business for a long time in Asia. I don't know. I find this story really compelling with the Ten Rings. Like I knew enough about the Ten Rings from just being a Marvel fan. But like in this format, I feel like seeing the movie, I knew everything I needed to know. And then also they really fleshed out his dad. I mean, they fleshed out the whole plot with what happens with the Ten Rings, the corruption, all the things that happen over time and kind of how Sean fits into all that, you know? And we say Sean, we mean Shang because his actual name is Shang. It is. And you better not forget it. And that was a great joke delivered by Aquafina on the plane. Probably the best joke she delivered of the movie. The you changing your name from Shang to, to Sean was, yeah, it could have been better. <laughs> He's like, I was 15. She's like, no, it's not a good enough excuse. It was her best joke of the movie, but not the best joke of the movie. There were some good ones, Chris. There were some good ones, but I, I I have a very specific one in mind for the best joke of the movie. Which one's that? The Planet of the Apes bit. Oh, my! that was the best joke of the movie. That really Absolutely. got me. I'm a big fan of Planet of the Apes. That really got me. It was a very needed change in tone at the time as well. That's true. I guess we could kind of talk about some of the plot. So, of course, we have Sean and Katie, who's Aquafina, their valet, and they kind of get thrust into this extraordinary situation because Sean is being hunted by his dad's men. We find out why. We find out that he has, you know, the pendant. And they, of course, immediately go on this journey. And Katie's like, I'm coming with you, which is cool. And they go, of course, to Hong Kong, and then they go to a part that was very interesting in the movie, Chris. We did see some of the trailers. It was very unfortunate. But they kind of go to the the Fight Club neon district area of this universe that we did not know existed in Marvel until this time, I think, which is an interesting thing. Of course, Wong's in the scene as well, fighting the abomination. He is. He is fighting the abomination, and he wins. Interesting use of the abomination here. Yeah, unexpected. Well, not only that, but the fact that they were they were working the fight, which becomes apparent later in the yes. in the scene, Abomination took a dive. It was all planned. It makes you wonder, I really do believe he's going to be showing up in whatever movie this ends up being, this team movie that's coming. Likely the Thunderbolts, I would think, but I don't know, man. Well, of course, Shang's dad shows up. His dad, of course, is Wen Wu and sends all his men there and they can't escape the men basically. And they get captured. And then we get taken to the compound and we really see kind of what empire his dad's built. And his dad's basically saying these events that have transpired in the world. I've been there. I've done the assassination or I've, I've made the political moves behind the scenes that have influenced nations. And that's because of the 10 rings, but also because of my ninja army, they're highly trained. Of course, this is where we get a whole just so many things in the movie, but I mean, we get like his dad offering Shang the power, you know, uh, join back with me, all this stuff. And keep in mind, Chris, we're getting flashbacks this whole movie of his actual relationship with his dad, his actual relationship with his mom. This kind of actually fleshing out the truth, I think, of all of this, right? 
Yeah, and the truth of this was that his father had been training him to be, you know, a top assassin. That's you know, right. the next wielder of the rings, the next next one in line for his his power. And Shang-Chi definitely when the time came, he was not interested in doing that. So he 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 ran. He did make it a point to say that his father changed after their mother was killed. That's right. He put them down. So what they're kind of framing here is a it was kind of reminiscent of uh the Castlevania series on Netflix Ooh, where right. the beast is tamed by a beauty and some idiot humanity whoever separates the the beast from the beauty and the beast comes back for retribution and that's what's been happening and his father trying to live this reality of retribution and revenge through his son Shang-Chi just wasn't about it. No he wasn't. And also through these flashbacks, Chris, we find out actually about his mom's true nature and his dad and his mom's relationship, how that happened, which is very cool. But Shang-Chi and Katie escape Wenwu's compound through the help of Trevor, which was a curveball that was very nice. And, you know, patching up the weakness that is Iron Man 3 just more and more in the MCU because it's the, one of the worst movies in the entire MCU. I just love that he came back because Ben Ben Kingsley is just phenomenal. Like, and he was wasted in that movie, in my opinion. He was, and it was very, it was very funny. It was a very smart way, or smart callback, I guess. And it's been some time. It has been. Goes to show that they're not above kind of admitting that something didn't work, and maybe repackaging it and bringing it back, Mm. and then making it work. It's almost a retcon in a way. Very comic book. Yeah, like they can even do that without admitting it was necessarily bad. They can just say, you know, we kind of slighted not only the movie by making the actual villain only in the last five minutes or so of Iron Man 3, but like the whole like wool over your eyes, like, oh, the villain's been the Mandarin the whole time. And actually, he was an actor. And then kind of like just leaving it at that, right? Like, what happens to that guy? What happens to Trevor, the actor? You know, what, what this is the MCU. We always get follow-ups on weird side characters. Like, I am waiting, Chris, as you know, for Sam Rockwell to return. <laughs> when we get the return of Hammer, I am so ready. Like, he is the greatest part of Iron Man 2, without a doubt. No question. When they bring these second-string characters back to the MCU, it really does feel good for this whole overconnectedness because it like you said they can retcon they can embellish they can flush out characters because everything is so connected in one giant movie really and this is what we're talking about before we rolled mics today was just how connected everything in the mcu is and how they're doing that even more you know we're gonna get jane foster back in thor 4 right these are good things it's just do it in a way like this and you know we get trevor back played by the brilliant Ben Kingsley. And we get his companion Morris, which is, you know, a complete curveball we got here, which is great because we have the creatures of Tao Lo, which is a separate dimension that Shang-Chi's mom is from, right? And that's where Morris comes from. And Morris leads him there. This is where it really is a tale of two movies. The first half of this movie is very MCU. Yeah. All the filters, the cameras... That's true. The sets, the angles, everything is just MCU to a T. And it's through this kind of very fun car. It's almost a car chase scene with only one car, but this <laughs> this true. fun this fun scene in this the introduction of this magical creature, Morris, it really does change the entire feel of the movie. And I I've heard some a lot of, a lot of people were not 
really into that. I, for one, was into it. Lean into the fantasy. Well, yeah, it's like I said, this is just setting up for Matt Fraction's Iron Fist going to be able to happen in the MCU. I think Shang-Chi is going to end up being a more and more utilized, more important character for the MCU okay. than Iron Fist is. I'm just excited. I'm just excited about this whole thing. I think they captured everything about a, like what's great about Kung Fu movies yes. very respectfully. It did it within the bounds of Marvel while letting the director kind of go crazy as soon as we got to this pocket dimension. Well, and that's when the real plot comes online, Chris, because we basically find out that Wen Wu, of course, is Shang's dad, wants to bring his wife back to life from the underworld, essentially, because she's calling out to him from this dimension but actually it's a trick it's the world of darkness calling out to him and what's interesting is we have tao lo this region we have the village that protects the gate this is where shang and katie and you know trevor and morris go and this is where like you said chris the movie peaks because shang like trains and becomes like closer to being what we know to be shang chi the character he trains like with the people that trained his mom and he starts learning how to fight with the elements as well he be elemental magic on top of his martial arts prowess i think it goes one further than that in a way it it brings back the teachings his mother taught that's him that's right she, of course, didn't have her magical powers outside of this realm, but she taught him the forms to use these powers. And it was through the sparring with his aunt that unlocked those those memories, in a sense, and leveled him up there, in a sense. Great sparring scenes. Prepared him for... Final battle. Yeah, it prepared him for wielding the Ten Rings. And I, I don't know, it was it was very good... I think that was very good storytelling because it just wasn't, oh, he was there for a day and a half and now he he's, can fight like he's been training for thousands of years. But no, it was it was unlocking some memories and being in the right area to kind of activate these kind of powers. And it, it showed that his mother had prepared him and taught him the ways of this village, even though he'd never been. Well, that's why he truly is the best of his mother and father, which is great. But we're being fed these memories as the movie goes on, like I mentioned, Chris, but also they're being unlocked for us as well alongside him, which is very important. So, of course, Wen Wu and his army attack Taolo, the dimensional place where all these creatures live and the villages. Got a great big battle. You know, we've got that classic Kung Fu Asian war movie prepping for the battle scenes, you know, building the armor, all this good stuff that we see in fantasy movies too, Chris. Very common. Something we've not seen in MCU. I, I, I thought the uh, fauna, the magical animals, oh, especially the, the giant embellished magical lions. Oh, so good. Just very impressive. The dragon horses were <laughs> pretty cool the, yeah the nine-tailed foxes all well done looked very practical honestly looked looked like looked very real that's true well and i'll say too chris something that stuck out to me which is very cool we get so much representation in film in fantasy of the japanese mythology of the japanese creatures of the japanese oni everything right it's very rare that we get a lot of the Chinese and more Hong Kong centric mythological creatures on film. It's just not as common, especially for us American audiences. So it was cool to see like the classic Chinese guardian lions 
but actually in their physical form, right? In this realm and stuff like that. Like, that's awesome. It's so convincingly done. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just, it's a cool thing to see because we're just so used to like, I don't know, like we're so used to European dragons. We're so used to all these Japanese mythological things, but like, I feel like the Chinese ones always get slighted in the world of content. We know them, but we just don't see them as much. And <laughs> talking about Chinese water dragon, that's a high point in this movie. <laughs> I thought that was the best representation of a dragon on screen I'd have ever seen. It's very good. <laughs> they had some talented people doing it. Yeah, man, whoever executed that that team, awesome. It 100% blew, like, knocked my socks off. Really, it honestly did. And that's when Shang-Chi's, like, final, final memory is coming into play, too. So, like, when he kind of gets it, that's when the dragon comes online. But we've got the battle at the lake. We've got the villagers fighting Wu's men. <laughs> and then we have... Chong and his dad, Wenwu, fighting, but his dad has the rings. And then we have the dragons fighting. It's getting intense. It's getting out of control. We also have the Dweller of the Darkness and the Darkness minions coming through. So we get that part where everyone starts to team up because they have to. They have to stop fighting each other and fight these demons. Can we just go ahead and say it that uh, I know say why it. they chose to use that particular bad guy and these particular bad demons and baddies it's because they weren't going to be compelling they didn't need them to be compelling no. they just needed a reason for them to team up and for shang chi's father to come to his senses yep it's kind of disappointing that not only do we get kind of a throwaway big bad but also we lose the actual awesome big bad like <laughs> his dad <laughs> yeah, we lose we lose Wen Wu. It, he was just so well built and he was a genuinely good bad guy. Yeah. He really was. Well, we understood his motivations, right? We understood why he's doing what he's doing. That makes a great villain because we we understand it, at least why he's doing it, why he thinks he's right. Yeah, that that's what makes a good bad guy, but his performance, the way yes. he carried himself, true. The way he spoke to people around him, I just thought he was great. They did the classic MCU thing, and it, it did bum me out too, Chris, where it's like the fight between him and his dad was so compelling, truly drawing from the great kung fu and anime pieces of the cinema world. I mean, there was some genuine, obvious kung fu movie references in that fight, and also some obvious like Dragon Ball and Onward references in that fight, and I thought that was correct. Like I, I, I think them doing that was actually really cool. The fight between him and his dad, there was the shots, the framing of the shots, if you know what I mean. Like when you have those duels mm -hmm. in Dragon Ball or those duels in the Kung yeah. Fu movies, some of those shots are only and absolutely unique to Asian culture. And they captured that, which is wonderful and perfect. It was very DBZS. It was the final shot of him. Oh man. Taking out the soul sucker or whatever. I mean, none of us are going to remember the name of that 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 thing it doesn't matter the dweller in the darkness that's the one yeah. that's the one who cares man just a giant um, demon god that's right yeah it's a, i i will say this design was good though the design was good and that concept being able to be brought onto the big screen successfully even though it was throwaway lore really made me think that uh, some ambitious director could really do the uh, dark knights metal series on screen. Oh, that's a deep cut. I like that. That's good. Anyway, back to Shang-Chi. They did the MCU thing, which bums me out because I was so impressed with the movie 
up to that point, Chris, where it's like they've told a compelling story. They've given a great backstory of his himself, his dad, his mom, his sister, who we haven't got had time to talk about today yet. And then, like you said, his dad was this great fleshed out villain and they just do the MCU switch up. We've got to have a climax CGI fest like we always end on. And we've got to create a boss boss fight. And the boss fight was good. I mean, Shang and, and Katie on the dragon, like fighting the demon dragon, like this is good stuff, but it does go into that full, what, what I sometimes call screensaver mode. You know, the MCU movies kind of end on where it's just like sure. pure spectacle. Nothing is real on screen. Nothing is practical. And um, it bums me out because the fight between him and his dad was so grounded and so good, despite all the embellishments of the effects, of course. I liked the big CGI fest at the end. They always resort to it. Oh, I know. It's Look, the formula is wearing. We've said it before. This is why the, I'm, I have hope in the shows. When we can have a show like Loki that ends on a long dialogue scene. <laughs> the shows are where they're experimenting, mm-hmm. and they will transfer those lessons learned over, like, they did some a few things different in this one, but look, I don't think anything changes till after Multiverse of Madness, though. You're probably right. Well, I think Spider-Man will change some things, don't you think? Well, it has to. It's Spider-Man. I mean, that's you put Spider-Man on something that's an Avengers level movie. Let that's oh bigger. That's a summer blockbuster. Like Shang, yeah. Shang Chi. As much as I enjoyed it, is not a is not like the big summer blockbuster. You also talked about DBZ moments. Can we talk about that DBZ moment where he basically just Kamehameha's it busts through, you know, Kaioken, whatever we're going to talk about here, through the dragon, the demon dragon. I mean, just like right through it, you know? And then we even have the shot like from above, you know? It's just very like DBZ. Oh, yeah. That that was straight out of DBZ. This gave me hope, Chris. I'm like, maybe Destin Daniel Cretton, the guy who made Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings, maybe this is the guy at some point in the future who can actually do an anime to live action translation because they never work. Especially, we can't talk about Dragon Ball. We can't talk about it. It's rough. Look, you're just going to have to do an anime style movie, but its own IP. I get what you're saying. There's too much content on animes, right? It's just John Wick with... Yeah. Just do John Wick with with anime tropes. And and that's basically what John Wick did, which is why it's so good. Exactly. That's why it's so good. John Wick's like, you know nothing, but we're going to drop you into this hyper-stylized world of just amazing anime-level, comics-level action, and you're going to learn the character as you go on, but you really don't know anything. You just dropped right in, and you're right. That's the way to do it, because you can't do that with Goku, you know, and Gohan and stuff. No. You just can't. There's too much there. You know, if this guy directed the Dragon Ball movie years ago... It would have gone better. That's all I'm saying. Still probably a mistake to make Dragon Ball or Dragon Ball Z condensed into two hours or less. Yep. But this movie kind of did that. It did a anime Dragon Ball type story, but at a more elevated level, more realistic in the way of this still have to fit in the MCU, right? It still has to be believable. And Chris, him getting the Ten Rings also felt very believable too. Like we had this great origin story. But really, him getting the rings is the moment he becomes the superhero, right? Yeah, so him exerting control over the rings is is exactly when he becomes a Marvel superhero. I mean, let's talk about kind of what he represents in Marvel. In the comics, at least, Shang-Chi is, he is the number one martial artist in that world. He is the number one physical hand-to-hand expert like in that entire universe of a ton of experts. Okay. And 
I think that's what he will end up representing here as well. And I guess we saw him become that by being able to go toe to toe with his father, you know, someone who's been alive for a thousand years and a warrior at that and defeat him is is pretty telling. So, I mean, yeah, we have a very powerful character on our hands here, but I don't know that we've got a cosmic level power here. I, I, I think we're still on a mostly street level. More powerful street level, right? Just slightly, yeah. But I, I think we're on a street level story. That's where we started. Sure. This movie is a street level movie. It just is. And it, it the stakes get raised at the end. A lot. A lot, a lot. But yes, it, essentially, this is a street level story. Okay, Chris. So we've talked about the movie. We've talked about kind of everything that happens in the movie. Good action, good humor, great cinematography, great visuals, by the way. We've, we've mentioned that, but I'll mention it again, like great visuals of actually Hong Kong. And then of course the interdimensional region, but also, you know, just framing a shots. I mean, that bus fight was actually really good early on. It was the amazing. The cinematography was, was good. I think that was the best fight scene in the movie. It was very good. But all the fight scenes were honestly excellent. I mean, they're like top tier Marvel fight scenes, which is saying something because, I mean, there's a lot of good Marvel fight scenes, but I'd say this is an upper echelon. So that certainly helped the movie. But let's talk about the movie just kind of as a whole. Like, what are your what are your thoughts? I mean, Black Widow was kind of lukewarm for us, despite its high points and super low points. So it ended up being kind of lukewarm for me, especially. So this for me came out higher than Black Widow. And I've, I say that because these are the last two Marvel movies I've seen, and I've I've really thought about them a lot. So that's my current take, you know, and I don't foresee it changing. No, I, I agree with you 100%. I'm trying to rank Shang-Chi in where I would fit it in my origin, my list of Marvel origin movies. It's an interesting question. And we discussed off mic beforehand that I do not count Guardians of the Galaxy as an origin movie. It's too good. Well... <laughs> It's an ensemble movie. They come together as a team. We don't really get their origins, but... Just Peter Quills, is what I say. I really like Shang-Chi a lot. I've got it ahead of Ant-Man. Sure. I don't know. I don't... Is it better than Black Panther? I don't know. That's a good question. Probably requires further examination. I think I need some more time to properly place it. I really did enjoy the movie a lot, though. I think it's probably better as a whole than Thor, and I really liked Thor, but I've watched it recently, and... It just does not have the snappiness that a lot of the other MCU movies have like Shang-Chi did. I think it's up there, Chris. I really do. I mean, it might not take the throne from the Iron Mans and stuff out there. Iron Man 1, because it is very strong. John Favreau starting this whole thing for everybody. Sure. But it's up there. I would say it's very high on the list. And really, there's not that many origin stories because it is weird because like sometimes in Marvel, they just skip origin stories altogether to cut time like Spider-Man right? Like Spider-Man Homecoming was not an origin story, but it was our first story with Tom Holland's Spider-Man, which is not an origin story, but in a weird way, it's an in-between movie. It's in between origin, an origin story and the twos, right? It's like we're getting to know this character because we've never had Tom Holland's Spider-Man. Meanwhile, we've got like the Iron Man twos, the Thor twos and things like that, where you're just kind of going right in, you know, with, with no sort of basis on this is Peter Parker's school. This is Peter Parker's friends. This is Peter Parker's aunt, right? All these things that we get, but that's not an origin story either. So there's really weirdly, Chris, if you don't include guardians of the galaxy and stuff like that, there's not a ton of Marvel origin stories. Weirdly enough. Now that we're getting into like the 25 movie plus range, you know, I guess it's a good amount of them. It's like 15 or 20% of the max, you know, 
which I guess makes sense. Yeah, you don't want too many. No. They just get annoying. Ant-Man's a good example. Yeah, that is a origin story. Thor, Iron Man, Captain America. Can't forget him. So, I don't know. Good question. It's something to think about, for sure. Would you put Shang-Chi above Captain Marvel? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Okay. All right. I think I would, too. That's just my personal opinion, though. I think Captain Marvel, for all of its high points, it had some really really low writing points and that kind of took me out of it i don't know how they got that how they didn't get that just right because i think they were so close that's what's a bummer about it it was very close to being excellent but there was just so many things that just like someone did not edit this script enough like it just incoherent or incongruent at times that's that's not good for a character like that but i would say it's better than captain marvel and that's probably a better example because you've got to examine shang chi now past the halfway point of the first mcu so we'd put it honestly with captain marvel and black panther respectively because those are modern origin stories as opposed to the iron man's the thors and the captain america's very early on I, I think you can lump all the origin stories together, but you do have to take the movies in context. Some of these were made in 2008, right? Well, no, I yeah, that is part of it. I don't think Shang-Chi would be as good if it was made back then. No, it took the mistakes of the earlier movies to, to get this one. And clearly advances in technology too, right? Because less important in Iron Man and Captain America, the advances we've had technology, very important in Shang-Chi and Captain Marvel. And where they are in the universe. The, yes, that, that's the part Marvel of Cinematic Universe with the the events of Avengers Endgame and even before that, the first Avengers movie, when things got topsy turvy mm-hmm. in that world, you know, it's just getting weirder and weirder and weirder and it's becoming that six one six Earth almost, you know, that, that is used <laughs> to superheroes and, and just weirdness happening all the time. We're getting there. It's gonna be a weird place. So Jesse, we should go ahead and start wrapping things up here. So the last topic I kind of want to hit is where do you think we go from here? Both post-credit scenes uh, allude to some things, but but where are we going from here in the MCU? Of course, we know the charted course of releases. Sure. But what is this all building to? I guess the first, what is going to be the first ensemble movie that we're heading to, do you think? I think you and I have talked a lot on the show about where we think MCU is going. These sort of ensemble films fighting Kang the Conqueror, I think, is where we're going. Yeah, I, but what's I on agree. the way? But what's what's on the way? What's the phase one? Because remember, we knew Thanos was coming, but that first Avengers movie, you know, it, it was there was still Lo- Loki's the the big bad. There's the big invasion. But Loki was working for Thanos, right? Like, are we going to get some of that? Sure, sure. We know where the ultimate last couple of movies will be. I guess what I mean is the first summit, the meeting, the meet cute for the team. Is it going to be the Thunderbolts? Is it going to be the Avengers again? Sam Wilson clearly will be probably leading the team. Yes. I'm into this, these ideas, yeah. So you're you're basically talking strictly, to wrap my head around what you're asking, you're talking strictly kind of like outside Loki, Doctor Strange, apparently Spider-Man thing they're doing with the multiverse and jumping around and old gods and all these things, multidimensional. We're getting a few different storylines and they will all coalesce uh, you know, at some point. I think that's the main storyline. That one is, right? That we're going to end at. 
But I think what you're asking, which is even more interesting, is like with Shang-Chi and the Eternals and things, where are those movies, what are they going to lead to? Are they gonna just going to lead to those characters teaming up with Doctor Strange and everyone at the end when they fight Kang? And Doctor Strange is kind of the, the leader of all the good guys. And we have new Avengers and stuff. Because that's what's the weirdest part about this release, Chris. Shang-Chi is released at a strange time. You almost think they would re- release it like pre-Endgame or something. And just he couldn't be there, you know? Because now it's like, where does this fit in the timeline? No, this is this was... They established that this was after the blip and, and everything. I know. I think this was the perfect time for this for this movie. Certainly culturally. Like, as in like... Yeah. The world is ready for unique takes on Marvel twists and turns. And even if we get a origin story, at least we get a origin story that's different, you know, I'm very different, honestly, in some ways compared to the other origin stories. So I'm intrigued by that. You have me very intrigued. I, I want more of Sam and Bucky, 100%. Yeah, what are, what do the Avengers look like now? What a great question. We don't have Steve and Tony anymore. Are we building to the Defenders? Right? Yeah. I mean, you and I have theories and we've talked about it on all these MC episodes, so check them out if you haven't listened to them. But like, obviously, Doctor Strange and Spider Man are going to be maybe not proverbial leaders of these teams in the MCU, but they will be leaders to the public, as in like emissaries to the next phase of the MCU. They will be up there with the Tony Starks and Steve Rogers of the next phase for sure. I think it just frequency in films. Who do you think is going to be the 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 next A-lister, you know, you know, Black Panther after his appearance in Civil War, just immediately Chadwick Boseman became a household name. That's true. That that wasn't expected. Marvel knew that he would do a great job, but it wasn't expected for him to become this kind of pop culture sensation immediately. The same could be said of all three of the MCU Trinity, Iron Man, Thor, Captain America. Well, Banner too, right? Like Banner was early on, and I think they're going to lean more into Banner in this phase too. I hope. Yeah, but the Hulk is never going to... He can play a role. I have complaints to the MCU with Hulk. They don't know what to do with him. Well, no. (laughs) They're terrified. The character is incapable of being the center of a movie. He just is. You're not going to get it because it's not going to be a good movie. He's too powerful is what it is. But they have the same problem with him in comics. They do. They keep sending him that's, off. That's where World War Hulk came from. He, you have to get rid of him. It's like the Sentry. You, yeah. you have to have a reason he's gone or else half of the stories that you're trying to tell don't work. I just think we'll get more Banner in this next phase for sure. Just we because he's a, he's a leading actor and we don't have scar joe anymore and we're i think hawkeye is going to be done after hawkeye so really we're running out of avengers so we're gonna have new avengers stepping up for sure that's what i'm interested in who's going to take that mantle and the i know the public kind of decides or you know the avengers just kind of start fading in popularity that's also a possibility yeah bring them back in the future or something right sure that could really work but i'm really interested in sam wilson led team i mean we did have a whole show that revolves around Sam Wilson deciding to pick up the shield by the end, you know, and become the leader. So I'm looking forward to that. But also, Chris, there's a lot of cosmic things going on way pre-Kang, obviously. Like we're getting Guardians 3. We're getting Thor 4. Like these are just going to be purely cosmic movies. Maybe the uh, secret sauce here, the craziness of all of this, the force that would bring everything around <laughs> would be John C. Riley's Richard Rider, And we get Nova at some point in the future. You never know. I mean, and John C. Riley playing Nova, man. I just that is not going to happen. It's not possible. They're not going to do it. That's not well. No, but they might do it one day. 
We will get Richard Ryder. We'll get Nova one day. But he was Richard Ryder in Guardians. Uh, yeah, that was a mistake. We can recon that. He's a great dramatic actor, but it's just more. I, I don't care. Yeah. You just don't want him. I know he's a great dramatic actor. He just doesn't. It's honestly his best work, actually. I know. For Love of the Game is incredible, but. That's true. Yeah, he's not Richard Ryder. He's just not. And that's okay. It's not a slight to him. It would just be a miscasting. Yeah. But this is a different universe, so who knows? The Richard Ryder might be a different person entirely. Nope. In this universe. Nope. <laughs> I'm not saying John C. Ryder. I'm just saying not even Richard Ryder, the name, you know, someone else. Because in this universe, Richard Ryder is on Nova Prime right now with his family, which is consistent with the initial backstory. But all these things could change with, with a different character entirely. The direction they go, I want them to go more cosmic, as you know, and I want them to go more oh, they are. weird. So I'm into that. We're just going to have to see how the Eternals is received. We're just sure. going to have to see how it is. I think more questions will be cleared up. We'll see. Yeah, no, we'll just see. Uh, what's Icarus's role going to be? How involved is Kit Harrington going to be going forward? How involved is Angelina Jolie going to be going forward? It's just so many questions. You're also saying, too, this is just going to set the stage for a lot of cosmic things, right? Absolutely. Because, I mean, not only are we going to get all these new characters, but we're going to get, just like Shang-Chi, I'm saying we're going to get a lot of cosmic backstory history of the world all that stuff you know that's coming in the eternals yeah, yeah. but icarus it's very confusing to me chris because i don't know much about the eternals i of course know like the names of the characters and their costumes and stuff but richard madden playing icarus and shooting red lasers out of his eyes and having a cow looking face and haircut it's very conflicting <laughs> and he it's gonna be cool he could be a good superman to be honest like i mean richard madden could probably do it yeah, sure, but Cable's great. He's no Henry Cavill. Cable's fine. He's no yeah. Henry Cavill. You're, you're creating a problem that's not real. <laughs> you're trying to fix a problem that's not there. They're trying to make Henry Cavill done, Chris, and I think that'll be the greatest mistake of DC's varied histories of mistakes. All they do is make mistakes. They have no singular vision. It's You get a good movie every once in a while, but as a universe, there's no vision. So what do you expect? It's short form, long form storytelling. It's... It's stupid. They've got to keep Henry as Superman. I mean, just if anything, for his dedication to the character and the diet. <laughs> Meh. He's great, man. Free him to go do uh, better things with better people. He's doing plenty of great things. We know this, Witcher, because they're just twiddling their thumbs so they didn't do the next Superman thing because apparently they don't want to make money. Hey, Chris, we've also got crazy things like you and I have talked about in the recent, very recent past with our Spider-Man episode. There's a lot of things going on with Marvel and Sony. Venom and Deadpool and all these things will probably be the MCU at some point in the very soon future. And we're just going to see what happens with all that. Well, and I mean, not the news about the agreements to bring most of the big cast in from the Netflix Marvel series is also... It, Great you news. Know, I just have so many theories as to how they're going to bring in Iron Fist. <laughs> Here's what's weird, Chris, because we, we are such big fans of... We're, we're so invested in these stories. It's like, I'm almost more intrigued right now of how they're going to do the greater narrative and bring all these other things in and make it canon than necessarily like, what are the next 10 movies? I don't really... I'm going to see all those, you know, so I'm not really that concerned. I don't need to see a list, you know, it's like, I'm more concerned right now is like, if you are bringing Netflix actors into the show, if you are bringing potentially some of these Fox and Sony characters that people love that make a ton of money, like Venom and Deadpool and stuff, et cetera, and mutants one day, I'm just more intrigued on a business side, how they're going to do that and 
make it work writing wise. That's going to be awesome if they do that. Like it's not only going to be awesome and good, it's going to fuel more projects where they can take more risks. So everybody wins, really. Hopefully. It's not going to last forever. Enjoy it well. Enjoy it while it's awesome. You just got to think about like how much money Venom and Deadpool made respectively. Just let's isolate those two at their studios. Imagine if those characters or something were actually under the MCU studios banner, even as a small part in a movie, which is probably what they should be. Just the money raking down for them. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> I know that's what they think about, unfortunately. It's not always let's bring the best movie. It's let's make money. That's why things like Shang-Chi give me hope, because there were some risks there. There were. And it was a very good movie. Fury's Finest is supported by our wonderful patrons. You can become a Fury's Finest patron by going to patreon.com slash Fury's Finest. Of course, you guys can follow us on social media. It really helps us out. So check us out on Twitter at Fury's Finest Cast and Instagram, Facebook, and Twitch at Fury's Finest. Email us at furiesfinest at gmail.com with any ideas, inquiries, or collaborations you want to do. And if you can leave us a review on your podcast app of choice, it does help us out. And once again, I'll say it again, like I said in our last MCU episode, if you have someone in your life who really likes the MCU but has does not play MCP yet, send our MCU episodes their way, and hopefully they get some enjoyment out of listening to us talking about it, the MCU, and then maybe they'll sit down and play MCP with you, and you guys have a great time. Thanks to Approaching Nirvana for our intro and outro music, and like Jesse said, please help spread the word about our show. Rate, review, subscribe. It Honestly, I know you hear this with every podcast and every YouTube and all of it, but it really, really actually does help no this is something we were talking about recently chris on the patron discord you know and this gives you a kind of a window and some of the things we talk about there sometimes it's like you the listener right now are making this show happen in more ways than one and one of them is that chris as you know but maybe the listener doesn't know we frequently land on high spots on the gaming charts that's gaming of the entire world that means we're fighting against video gamers, YouTubers, all the people who do gaming content that are not a small miniatures game. And we we somehow are up there with them. Yeah, and some of them are pretty big money makers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and ours is not. No. But clearly you guys listen, you download, you subscribe, you share the show, and that really helps us out. And we really like to make a career out of this one day of some kind, even just part-time. And just put more time and effort into the show and make it the best we can for you, the listener. And, you know, just have fun with us along the way. But it means a lot that you guys leave reviews. We always are up on that upper list of the entire world when it comes to gaming. And that's a big deal because it's a win for Marvel Christ Protocol, Chris. Big time. The game's getting bigger by the day. I mean, the Facebook group is approaching 13,000 people, which is very big. Can we just get that stupid mcp discussion off facebook delete your facebook guys come on there's chris with the takes yeah i i would not be on facebook if i didn't have the things i've mentioned on the show before multiple podcasts that i have to use on facebook the mcp group and then posting pictures of my child for my family those are the only three things keeping me on facebook it's rough but those are three things very important to me chris i would say three of the most important things to me but it's one of those things like i'd love to get off too man i'd love to get off and i'm barely on and the only time i'm on is doing those three things but it's getting to be really big just on facebook alone and it's like this game is getting big worldwide guys and we're just a small miniatures game you know and this is cool like this game in a couple of years is going to be it already is right now one of the miniatures games of the entire world so let's let's just make it bigger let's share it 
let's spread the love. And hopefully the podcast can help do that. And clearly you guys are listening and making that happen. So we thank you, but also just thank you for doing this for your community. Thanks guys. Community building. We strongly believe in it here. And Marvel Crisis Protocol has a chance at being special with a little application and a little thought. I love episodes like this, Chris, where we don't have to get like crazy down to business where you and I have just like pages of lore and strategy that we have to get through for a specific character that we want to really get concretely to the listener. This is fun because we get to talk about stuff like this. We get to talk more transparently with the listeners. You know, it's good stuff, man. I do value this relationship we have with our listeners and that you and I have with each other every week getting to do this. And especially here at the end when uh, most <laughs> most folks has turned it off and it's just it's just you real dedicated ones or, the you know, very dedicated. Good morning. Welcome from your nap, you know. <laughs> Hope your walk with the dog right now is going really well. Oh my God. It's so nice. It's so nice. And welcome to fall guys. It's my favorite season. I'm very, very hyped on this, but closing up the show, you can find Chris and I on social media. You can find me, Jesse on Twitter and Instagram. And even in that Marvel Christ protocol, Facebook group at Jesse Aiken, that's E A K I N. And I have a star Wars show called the Canon Cantina. Chris, where can everyone find you? You can find me on Twitter at Chris Bruffett, C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-F-F-E-T-T, where we are giddy for Josh Giddy, future Hall of Famer. There we go. Thunder up. Well, until the next MCU episode, we hope you guys enjoyed this. Stay tuned for more MCU content in the near future. Thanks for listening. True Believers. Excelsior. The world has gotten even stranger than you already know. At this point, I doubt anything would surprise me. Ten bucks says you're wrong. 